This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. Welcome once again to Madison Story Slam, the podcast where we hear stories so that we can build community through storytelling. On today's episode, we've got two great stories, one from Graham Callis and one from Cal Smith. But before we get to that, let's get down to just a little bit of business. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you could do us a favor and leave a rating, and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast app, or really anywhere that you can do those things. It makes a huge difference for us. A rating helps people find the podcast, and a review helps me know what you're thinking about the podcast, what you like, what you don't like, things like that. Just want to let you know that on Saturday, February 16th, that's our next live event, Saturday, February 16th at the Wilmar Center. The theme is Scars. That's the week this comes out. Come tell a story or hear stories based on that theme and you'll have a great time. On March 16th, Saturday, March 16th at the Wilmar Center, we have the Story Slam theme, Courage. And for the very first time in Madison Story Slam history, we're also doing a live concert that night with Nicholas Blazina of the band State Madison. Come on out at the Wilmar Center, March 16th. It's going to be a great time. First up, here's Cal Smith. It is, in fact, just Smith. I promise you, it's very simple. I don't know what is going to be more difficult, telling the story or getting from that table back there up to here. Um... It was June 2016, and I was standing in a kitchen in a house I was renting in Westland, Michigan, and I turned to my ex, and I said, maybe you're right. I love you, but I can't do this anymore. So how did we get here? You know, how did we get here from the woman that I fell in love with and I went on a date with at Steak and Shake and tried to kiss her at the end and then found out months later when we were dating that she didn't kiss me back because she had to go inside the house to fart. (laughs) True love. How did we get to this place, though? We started out so great, Steak and Shake, flatulence. You know, it was a great start. Um, I always like to note my identity, and especially for this story, it's very imperative. I am now a non-binary, transmasculine, pansexual, polyamorous person. We don't have time to cover what all that means. You can get out your phones if you need to. But uh, it's important to the story because when I first met this person, I thought I was a cisgender person. And in 2011, I came out as a lesbian. Not a great time to come out, especially living in Indiana where I grew up. Um, Let's start with the pros of this person. This person stood with me through a lot. They stood with me through coming out in Indiana um, in 2011. And then they also stood by me about a year later when I lost a cousin that was possibly queer that was being closeted, and then I had been blamed for that suicide and then barred from the funeral. Um, This person had also been there for me while dealing with TERFs in college. 
You know, this person was always there for me. But this person was also abusive, manipulative, controlling. I lost my, not my relationship with my family, but it definitely became strained. I lost friendships because it was so controlling. And I ultimately lost a sense of myself when I dated this person between 2011 and 2016. Uh, you know, most of it went all awful, but I guess we'll really talk about all the way up into when I graduated in 2015. I had finally got an opportunity to move away from Indiana. A lot of abuse had already been going on. You know, people don't talk about abuse in lesbian relationships. Apparently no one thinks anyone can be abusive if it's just two women in a relationship. Had been through a lot of situations with her trying to kill herself, which triggered trauma I had already had. Um, and also just had dealt with situations where she'd just leave and run off, and I didn't know where she went. She threatened to kill herself, just lots of uh, manipulation and abuse. So we fast forward to, I graduate in 2015, I get a job offer. We move up to Michigan. She gave up her job so I could move up there, and before all of this, when we first got together in 2011, I tried to come out as bi to her when we first got together. She didn't take that too well. She had a lot of biphobia of her own and kind of freaked out. In 2013, I came out to myself as trans and I tried to come out to her and she was the first person I came out to as trans. She kind of freaked out. Over time, she tried to be supportive. And then lastly, I tried to ask for an open relationship and she kind of freaked out. So knowing all of this before we go up to Michigan, kind of just left it be and I was ready to focus on my new job I got. While we're there, she starts hanging out with friends and staying out late, and I've been with this person for four years, so I trust her. Sure, you're rolling home at 8 a.m., but I don't have any suspicions, you know? Go do your thing. Um, so then we get to December of 2015, and we're getting an oil change at the car shop. And over the past few months, we had talked about what it might be like to have a polyamorous relationship. We abstractly talked about this. Uh, so we started expressing who we found attractive. <clears throat> and she said, well, there's this guy. I kind of find him attractive. So I said, let me see him. It goes from, I find this guy attractive to, oh, I'm actually dating this guy. And this guy had sex in our bed. And he's been in our house. Uh, I took this as a great opportunity to tell her about the man I was sexting, erotically, no nudes, in the UK. <laughs> she tries to compare these two experiences, and if I'm being completely honest, I did not tell her about the woman I had emotionally cheated on her with, but when you're comparing sex in our bed to me sending long erotic novels to someone in the UK, there's a bit of a... A mismatch there so I wasn't completely honest with her so we start sharing all this and it's a lot for me to process and I realized that this person's been in my house and anytime I've called to come home from work she's made sure he's left I try to be cool with this dude but he's the kind of dude that sits and watch it's always sunny in Philadelphia and has one of those last like ha that makes you want to stab a person <laughs> so I try to be accepting I try to start dating, but anyone that's healthy and ethically polyamorous 
wants nothing to do with this fucking situation. And rightfully so. So she breaks up with him a month and a half later. Oh, mind you, our Christmas of 2015 was spent not only me being shoved into polyamory, but with my first pregnancy scare. When they had sex in our bed, a condom that I brought home from work because I worked in higher ed and had access to free condoms broke while they were having sex. So that was our first pregnancy scare first. So happy holidays there. We fast forward to February 2016, and she broke up with him, and one night I'm getting ready to go to the bar with a friend, and she says, I need to talk to you. And I say, what's wrong? She's like, I think I'm pregnant, but like, I think it's for real this time. And I'm like, oh, no, no, it'll be fine. You know, we already went through one scare. No, she was really pregnant this time. So we take like three pregnancy tests, She puts the onus on me to call Planned Parenthood to schedule an abortion in which I had to come up with the money and she was not working at the time. And people wonder why I have issues with cis men when this guy was unwilling to pay even half for abortion. Come on, we're supposed to be egalitarian here. Uh, And she has an abortion around our five-year anniversary. Uh, I was not a great person at the time, said some things I regret. You know, our relationship had just come to such a place of toxicity so badly so that she would try to hurt me with a hammer a knife weapons and when i tell this story people seem really shocked but i had had it so normalized for me for so many years and i've had martial arts experience that i was just worried about not hurting her and trying to put her down and deflecting whatever she was doing So when she had an abortion, she had had a second boyfriend who I actually love and miss dearly. And he helped to support her, and I had started dating someone else. Come May of 2016, she starts doing the, I don't know if any of you have heard the Chainsmokers song or not, she likes to break up every night. That's what was happening every night. Breaking up, let's get back together. Breaking up, let's get back together. Meanwhile, I'm in this salaried position where I'm dealing with a transphobic boss. So nowhere is peaceful. Home, not peaceful. Work, not peaceful. Uh, And she starts breaking up with me, then getting back together. Breaking up with me, getting back together. I warned her, I said, you're going to push me away. Finally say, no, let's try to stay together. So then... I started dating someone, uh, another partner, at the beginning of June. And they were younger, and they had just come out. And due to sexism and being queer, they needed a place to stay. So the weekend that she moves in with me and my partner, that things are rapidly deteriorating, obviously, um, the day she moves in, she starts a fight with me and says, oh, well, we should just break up. So I'm standing there in the kitchen, I say, maybe you're right, maybe we should. I love you, but I can't do this anymore. And then that sparks a huge fight about who's gonna have the bed, and I was just glad that my other partner was there so things didn't get physical. So then proceeded the couple of months where I let her live with me, because she still had her boyfriend in Michigan, I didn't wanna make her move back home to Indiana, And I don't know if you've ever lived in a situation with your ex of almost five years and your new partner, but it's a little awkward. And what's more awkward is having to sleep on a rug on the living room floor and get up and put on a tie and go into work and act like everything's fine. And then while I was breaking up with her, 
one of my miniature dachshunds decides to have her legs go and almost needed put down. I start developing food allergies. I'm so stressed out. Food allergies I'm still dealing with to this day. And uh, I am nice enough to let her stay with us, but I don't know how much it wears on a person to carry blankets up and down the stairs. But then you got to think, I was with a new person, so then throwing dildos in there and carrying them up and down the stairs. It does a lot to a person. It's very stressful. Needless to say, the person that witnessed this breakup that was my new partner said, why don't you come to Wisconsin? So even to this day, almost two and a half, three years later, I'm still dealing with the debt that she never wanted to put a bill in any of her name, dealing with, dealing with financial debt, emotional issues, psychological trauma, being compared to cis men sexually, you name it, I feel like I kind of went through it. All that trauma caught up with me when I moved here. And I think, you know, breakups are always nasty. And I do give her credit. She already had trauma and some mental health issues of her own. So sometimes I'm not always angry at her. But breakups are always nasty. But I think the one thing we can take is that there's a lesson learned from this for me. And it brought me to where I wanted to be and around the people I wanted to be. And that was here in Madison. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cal, for sharing just a little bit about yourself to us here on Madison Story Slam. Hey, just a reminder that on March 16th, Saturday, March 16th at the Wilmar Center here in Madison, Wisconsin, we've got Nicholas Blazina, who's going to be giving us the gift of song at our story slam event we'll have the regular story slam but then for a part of it nicholas blazina will be playing his amazing wonderful songs that he's written as a singer songwriter we cannot wait and we hope to see you there up next it's graham callis so at the end near the end of january in 2006 i opened my eyes from what felt like the most peaceful and relaxing sleep that I had had in a long, long time. But the serenity of that moment shattered in an instant when I realized that I was sitting behind the wheel of my truck, <laughs> bouncing through a snow-covered frozen farm field, heading directly towards one of Wisconsin's iconic barns. Adrenaline surged through my body and I could not push the brake pedal hard enough. I thought it was going to go through the floor of the cab. I stopped the truck, and I took a quick self-assessment. Uh, I had a, the side of my head hurt for some reason. I was getting this really fuzzy feeling in my head. Um, adrenaline was just surging through my body. My heart was racing. And I said out loud, in the cab of my truck, did I just fall asleep? I had no idea what had happened, so I, I took a moment and I tried to remember back to the last thought that I had had before I woke up in this position. Uh, I lived in Green Bay, and I was driving to work. I worked for a local government of a small, uh, small community just north of Green Bay, and I was on my way to work that morning. And the last thought that I had, the last thing that I could remember, 
was getting this really nauseous feeling uh, while I was, I was close to work, I got this really nauseous feeling in my stomach. I felt like I was going to throw up. I kind of doubled over, and I grabbed the center console between the seats of my truck, and I don't remember anything after that until I woke up bouncing through this farm field. So I kind of gathered myself together. I turned the truck, and I drove the rest of the way to work. I got out at work, I walked around the vehicle to see if there had been any damage, and sure enough, there was some body damage just above the front bumper. I had no idea how that had happened. I walked into the office, my coworker took one look at me and said, what happened? Because I must have looked just like, like a ghost. I must have been just white as a ghost as I walked in. I said, I, I think I just blacked out behind the wheel. And he said, you need to go to the hospital. And I said, no, I'm fine. I feel okay now. I just have this headache coming on, and once that's gone, I'll be okay. He said, no, you blacked out behind the wheel. You need to go to the hospital. So an ambulance ride later, I'm at the ER. Uh, they did a few tests. They took my vitals. They couldn't find anything wrong with me, uh, anything out of the ordinary. They sent me home with a heart monitor. They put all these pads all over my body, and they hooked all these wires up to this little box, and I was gonna have to wear this thing 24-7 for the next two days in case the symptoms came back so that they could see what was going on with my heart. I got home, and I'm looking, trying to think through the logistics of how I'm gonna exist with this thing and do the daily tasks that I have to do over the next two days with this thing attached to me. I sit down at my desk and I start to feel the symptoms again. I get this real nauseous, tight feeling. I double over, my vision's starting to get blurry and I get this real fuzzy feeling in my head. Back to the ER. They unhook the monitor from me, thank heaven. Uh, and they look at the readings and the nurse comes back and she says, from what we can tell, when at the period of time that you said you experienced symptoms, your heart stopped for over a second. And I looked at her and I said, what does that mean? What's going to happen with me? And she said, well, you know, sometimes in these situations, people end up having to wear a pacemaker. And I said, a pacemaker? I'm 30 years old. I can't wear a pacemaker. And she gave me this look of like, yeah, you can wear a pacemaker at 30 years old. You just don't want to wear a pacemaker at 30 years old. So I was admitted. Uh, they performed an EKG on my heart. There was no abnormalities found. They did an MRI scan on my brain. There were no abnormalities found. A cardiologist came to talk to me. I uh, went over my symptoms with me. And then he consulted with a neurocardiologist. They both came down to my room and told me what they think had happened is that I experienced neurocardiogenic syncope. In layman's terms, I fainted. <laughs> I looked at them both and I said, no kidding, I fainted. Why did it happen? That's why I'm here. I need to know what's going on with me. They said, well, sometimes these things are triggered there's a trigger that you would respond to, like the sight of blood, or an extreme amount of fear, 
or extreme emotional distress. And I said, I didn't experience any of those things at that point in time, so what happened? They said, well, we're not sure, and sometimes it just happens absolutely randomly. But we're going to confirm this with a test. So the next morning, they took me down to a very cold operating room and strapped me to a very cold steel table. They put a, uh, a, a monitor into, the vein, into one of the veins in my arms so that they could monitor my blood pressure. And then they hooked up an IV. Then what they do is they raise this table up. And at that point, if you are susceptible to this, very susceptible to this, you would black out. I didn't black out. So they started the uh, drug, introduced a drug into my body using the IV, which is supposed to uh, increase your heart rate to simulate exercise. And my heart started getting faster and faster and faster, and I'm thinking as this is happening, is this actually exercise? Because I didn't exercise a whole lot at this point in my life, and if I was burning calories doing this, I was okay with that. <laughs> I still didn't black out. I'm hanging on this table. And they told me not to move around a lot because it could throw off the readings and I'm, I'm having to keep my arm out like this. It was really uncomfortable. They gave me a nitroglycerin pill. Now my heart rate really takes off. I'm starting to feel really clammy. Uh, I'm getting sweaty. And I noticed that the field sides of my field of vision were starting to go white. And what I could see of the world was starting to get smaller and smaller and smaller until it was just this little tiny dot and I could see the doctor behind the window. They stopped the test. They lowered the table uh, and I, I came back to normal. I was, I was brought back up to my room. They said, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that you're susceptible to. My blood pressure was extremely low at that point in time, but I, I didn't black out. They don't know what, what my trigger was. There was no way to determine that. It's just something that randomly happened. So they put me on a, a beta blocker medication, which is, um, I, I, I can't pronounce the name of it, much less spell it, so I'm not going to try and repeat it here. Uh, but it basically keeps my heart rate nice and even. Um, and then I was discharged. Uh, at that point in time, I decided that I needed to do, do some changes in my life so that I could help that medication work and so that this never happened again. So I, um, I started exercising more. I cut sugar. I cut a lot of sugar out of my diet. I started eating better. I also at that time took a little bit of time to do some research into what this condition is. Uh, and I found that uh, some other groups of the population that are susceptible to this uh, fighter pilots who experience too many G's in the cockpit, they can just black out uh, because all the blood rushes out of their brain. And then uh, also teenage girls just at random can faint for no apparent reason whatsoever. And I can stand here with the 100% confidence and tell you that I am not a fighter pilot. Uh, so, so I'm on medication. I probably will be for the rest of my life. Um, I've had a few other uh, breaking points in my life recently, real emotional and mental tests uh, that I've faced. And uh, I'm not ready to talk about those at this point. Um, but I can look back on all of these and 
I realized that these breaking points in my life have happened for a reason. Um, and that uh, these are tests that I'm put up against. These are, these are life or maybe the universe's way of telling me, hey, I don't need you over here right now. You need to make some changes and be over here. Um, so I look back, I look at these as, as these tests that I've faced, and I'm feeling that Oh, I guess I'm sorry. I can't remember the rest of my story. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Graham. So I say this just about every month. It's not easy to get up here and, and share stories. And so don't feel bad about that. It happens. It is happening. I, uh, the last break said I was going to tell a story when we came back from break and completely forgot what my story was. So <laughs> I didn't tell that story. So it's, it's hard to get up here. These lights are intimidating and all that. Uh, vasovagal reflex is the reflex you're talking about that causes people to faint. Uh, it's the reflex that causes teenage girls to faint when they see Elvis. <laughs> Or for people to faint when they see blood, like you mentioned. Uh, that's, that's the reflex, just so you know. I only know that because of listening to uh, Loveline with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. So, Thank you so much to both of our storytellers, Cal Smith and Graham Callis, for telling your wonderful stories here on this episode of Madison Story Slam. We wouldn't be able to do this podcast without the likes of you so again thank you so much just a reminder this week this weekend saturday february 16th our next live event is story slam scars and that's at the wilmar center here in madison wisconsin and then on march 16th saturday march 16th at the wilmar center again the theme is courage and with that theme, we also have Nicholas Blazina, the singer-songwriter, doing a concert for us. And it's going to be amazing. I love Nick's music. It's wonderful. And it will teach you. You will learn from it. It's stories in the form of song. And it's it really, honestly, I love it so much. You won't regret being there for it. For the very first time, Madison Story Slam is charging at the door. It's $5. You'll get a raffle ticket and you'll get in and you'll get to hear stories, an amazing concert from Nicholas Blazina, and it's going to be awesome. As always, I love you.